Peace. What's going on, man? I want to welcome you to the show. We have one of the nicest MCs from Spanish Harlem joining me on the show here today for Sports and Hip Hop with DJ Mad Max. The Lost Pack is out now with V Don. He has a special announcement to make today on the show that he's got a new album coming out this Friday. Vivir. Bodega Bams yes, is sir. here. Bodega Bams, how you doing today, man? Welcome to the show. Blessed, man. Blessed and highly favored, bro. Thank you for having me. I'm looking forward to the new album. I gave it a listen. Handball is my favorite. That's a gangster record. That's tough. That's, that's real New York. Super New York. I, I always got it. That's why people love me, man, because no matter the times change, you can count on Bodega to always keep it New York in one way or another. That's right. Somebody should retire him like Lawrence Taylor knocking down the quarterback, Theisman. Hey, you caught that. Yeah, you caught that, man. We talk about these old dudes, man. These old dudes don't want to give it up. So, you know, Lawrence Taylor had to put Joe Theisman on his ass one time and get him out of here. So that's how we feeling about these old rappers, man. That's right. That's <laughs> what we got to do to mumble rap. We got to retire them. <laughs> we got to get it. People oh, still man. mumbling? Yeah, they're still mumbling. It's not as bad as before, but the real MCs are still not getting their just due on the radios. And you've been pretty open and vocal about that over the years, which is rare because not everyone wants to speak on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everybody, because a lot of people are scared about um, the the backlash they might receive with it, or they're probably scared of the thinking they're going to get blackballed, but you can't blackball but they got bands. I'm already chosen, so I can say what I want. If That's I feel right. it. Who cares what anyone else thinks? And you're doing your thing. You're doing your thing with the rapping. You're doing your thing with acting. You have a lot on the way here. You've built your own empire for yourself. And are yes, there sir. days, because in my lane, I do think about this too, of shifting away from what I do with my show sometimes. Is there times where you want to just shift away from rapping and focus, focus strictly on acting? Because you did address that on one of the songs that I was listening to on the new album. Yeah, absolutely, um... I definitely go through those days, um, but then I also got to remember that, you know, I got a responsibility as far as like years ago, like I've, I've been able to, I've been able to amass, you know, a fan base of people who who believe in me, who, who, who trust in me, you know what I'm saying? So I got to think about that, you know what I mean? Like, and understand that, you know, it's a responsibility now. Like I, I'm not doing this just for me no more. I'm doing this because a lot of people look up to me and they look forward to my music. So, you know, music is always going to be in me. Um, it's always going to be a part of me. It's always going to be something I'm going to do, you know what I mean? But definitely go through those times of, you know, wanting to do different things. How much content do you plan on dropping this year? Because you already dropped the Lost Pack and now you got Vivira dropping this Friday. Uh. I see how it goes, bro. You know what I'm saying? Um, I, I really don't like to plan like the way I used to, man. I was one of those. I was one of those kids that when I used to study for tests, I would fail, and when I didn't study, I would pass. I was one of those. I was one of those kids. So you know, I mean, there's nothing wrong with always dropping new music and staying consistent. You know what I mean? Because that just revs up your numbers on the streaming. Um, but you know, I. I I could feel like I want to drop 10 albums this year. I could feel like I just want to drop two. You know what I mean? It depends on how, you know, how it goes. That's right. Vivir's to live. Do you feel as though that you're living life to the fullest? Uh, living life to the fullest sounds dangerous. You know what I mean? Um, you get to a certain age where you want to live life carefully, not to the fullest. Cause I've lived life to the fullest before and I've, I've had my 
run-ins with <laughs> not being here. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you get older and you learn and, you know, living life to the fullest to me means not what you're doing, but just waking up every single day, man, having a breath in your lungs. You know what I mean? So I want to live life. I'm going to live life the most carefully, you know, if that's a word. What's the reason for you releasing this new album? What's the message you're trying to send with it? Because when you released El Camino, you were telling people that if this was the last album that I was going to drop, this is how I would want it to sound. What, what message are you trying to send with this upcoming album? That I'm, I'm just dumb nice. That I'm just really good at rapping. It's <laughs> really it. And the, the, the title, VV, you know, that wasn't even, I, I didn't, my mom gave me that title. Literally, because what happened was, um, I just turned in the album a few days ago. And, you know, anybody who knows about, like, when you turn in albums, it's a whole process before it gets on the stream and whatnot. So once you turn in an album, unless it's like an emergency, like, you don't pull it because then it's going to ruin the whole date and you have to re-upload it and whatnot. So when I turned in the album, I didn't have, I wasn't set on a title yet. So when I was speaking to my label, I was like, yo, um, I'm going to give y'all the title a few days before the release. And then they suggested to me, they're like, well, Vans, listen, um, if you do that, we ain't going to be able to get that date. So you got to come up with a title today. Right. So I was like, damn, I hate being, I hate feeling like I got to be pressured. You know what I'm saying? So I had a simple conversation with my moms. I'm like, mom, what sound better, this title or this title? And then from that, she just told me, call it VV. And VV needs to live. And I, I just, I like that because, you know, um, that's what it is. This is what it's about. Like, this is about continuing to live, man, live life. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was going to call it Viva, but, you know, Viva is like, so Viva becomes like just a personal solo thing. Vivil is more general it's for everybody to live. You know what I'm saying? You have a lot on the way here. I'm looking forward to this upcoming album, and I'm sure your fans will too. This is a nice surprise for them. Real hip hop. You're bringing it back. We're getting some more Bodega Bams. But I, I want to get into the beginning of you growing up in, in Spanish Harlem. How was the experience of growing up there, man? Uh, it was um, it was wonderful, man. Um. I don't have too many complaints, you know what I'm saying? The fact that I survived the neighborhood I'm from, you know what I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a blessing, you know what I'm saying? I know a lot of people who ain't here no more. Uh, I know a lot of people who are in the same position they were 25 years ago. Because, you know, when you're from the hood, that's what happens. Like, you stay in the same position and there's no really no way out. So, I, I don't really have no... It was amazing growing up in Spanish Harlem, man. The danger of it, you know what I mean? The, the, the survival of it. Everything to me was a blessing. It was cool. I don't have no problem of, or oh, no bad memory, you know what I'm saying? But I did, I grow Spanish Harlem, you know what I mean? And I did realize that if I, if I didn't, if I didn't leave Spanish Harlem, I never would have became Bodega Benz. I would have became a statistic. I had to leave my herd and um, establish myself somewhere else get a name in order to get that respect when I came back to Spanish Harlem. So, you know, that's how it is to a lot of times, you know, with rappers, actors, any kind of creative, like you very rarely get the love in your own hood. You know what I'm saying? Even if you, even if you, anybody who like um, knows the Bible, even Jesus, like Jesus didn't get love in Nazareth. That's where he's from. Like that's Jesus, he didn't even get love in there. Like he, had, he couldn't do no miracles there because everybody thought he was just a carpenter's son. So it was like, 
if even Jesus wasn't getting love in his own hood, which means you gonna get love in your hood. You know what I mean? So you gotta leave your hood, to, you know, to establish yourself. And that's why I feel. A hundred percent. You did that to, to, to start off in the rap perspective in your journey, it all began with the recital of you learning how to recite Dear Mama. That was the first rap song that you recited. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Man. Yes, sir. I was a huge Tupac fan to this day. Tupac is one of the most, he, he, held, he, held, he holds the most influence on my life as far as like rap goes. And he's one of the artists that hold a very, very high influence in just me becoming an uh, artist and a rapper. You know what I mean? And Dear Mama was the first song that I knew front to back. I was 10 years old. Um, I, I, it was off the Greatest Hits album because, you know, when Pac was running around, I was still kind of young and I really couldn't listen to rap. But when he died, um, I was, I stole the Greatest Hits album. And I think Dear Mama was on the second CD because it was a double CD. And I remember just hearing that song over and over and over and over and over. And the shit was just, I loved it, man. You know what I'm saying? I loved it. So I, that was the first song I knew. From the Fun fact, if people are real journalists out there, and I know you know already 100%, Tupac's from Harlem. Yes, sir. Where he was born. born in Harlem. Born in Harlem. Yes, sir. Born in Harlem, then he moved to Baltimore. Uh, then he moved, to, moved around a bit, then he moved to California and whatnot. So, yeah. Imagine if Tupac stayed on the East Coast. That would have been crazy. I mean... Even though he 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 was to me, I, I consider Pac an East Coast rapper. I don't consider him a West Coast rapper. He didn't rap like Snoop Dogg. He didn't rap like E Forty. You know what I'm saying? Like Pac was, he didn't dress like them either. So you know, Pac was just a he was like a Mad Max man. He wasn't he wasn't a part of no set, no coast. It was just so happened he aligned himself with West Coast dudes. But I, I never considered Pac a West Coast rapper. That's interesting. That's an interesting take. That's probably one of the first times I've ever heard a take on Tupac. You never look at him as a West. And it makes sense from what you said, 100%. Especially the jerseys and everything. He had the East Coast style. Music wasn't his music besides Dr. Music Dre too. making the beats. Yeah, besides Dre making the beats. I mean, you can say, but I don't, nah, he didn't sound like a Snoop. He didn't sound like a Too Short. He didn't sound like those dudes or, or N.W.A. He wasn't on that. You know what I'm saying? No. Pac, Pac, Pac had, Pac, um, he had both coasts all in one pot. He, was, he had that East Coast attitude and that flair and that charisma and that flamboyancy. And he had just the knowing how to make records. That's a, that's a West Coast vibe. You know, West Coast knows how to, they know how to make records. You know what I mean? They know how to make songs, West Coast. So he had both those worlds together. That's right. Another one of your biggest influences is DMX because he rapped about Jesus in the church and you came up in the church. So this was someone that you could relate to. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. DMX was, um, cause like I said, you know, Pop, Pop died in 96. I was um, 11 years old. Uh, so I was, you know, I was young. I knew who Pop was cause he was a global star, but I didn't, I wasn't tapped into his music, but DMX, I was tapped into DMX. I met, I was in high school when DMX was popular. And that was one of the things that relate that made him relatable to me is because he would pray and he would talk about God and I'm a church boy. So immediately I loved that about him and I loved his energy and I loved that he reminded me of like a new age Tupac. You know what I mean? From the bald head, from the, you know, even from his stature, you know what I'm saying? So he was like what Pac was to me, what maybe what Pac was to people back in the day. You know what I mean? 
What was your go-to DMX album growing up? Was it This Dark at, at Hell is Hot or was it Flesh of My blood, Flesh? Flesh My Flesh, Blood of My Blood? Flesh of My Flesh. But I will say that Dark and Hell is Hot is a way better album front to back. Way, way better album. But my introduction to, to DMX was Flesh of My Flesh, Blood of My Blood. That was my introduction. Man. That intro, incredible. I just love what a nigga. Incredible. I remember listening to that on the bus going to high school. And just feeling this kind of energy inside of me, like I could take over the world. Man. DMX gave me that, and I'm I'm blessed that I got the opportunity to open up for DMX on two occasions, um, at, in LA at the Novo, and um, in Santa Ana at the Observatory. Both times I was direct support to DMX, man. And, um, I didn't get to meet him, you know what I'm saying, because they were doing some funny shit, like his management or whatever. But, um. That was a dream come true, man. When I seen him coming through the doors, when I was in the, um, in the observatory in Santa Ana, and I seen him coming through the doors, I had like, I, I, it was like God was walking through the door, bro. The way he walked, I was, it was just like an energy. Like, I'm like, yo, that's the door. Like, it was a, it was a time, man. And then um, his manager at the time, um, he was like, yo, cause I had, I had on all army fatigue on, you know, we both from New York, me and LA. You know what I'm saying? The population over there is mad Mexican guys who got, you know, who they unbelievable supporters of rap. So we dressed in fatigue. I'm dressed in army fatigue. You know what I mean? So I knew DMS would appreciate that. So when he was in his booth watching, um, word got sent to me that he was like, yo, he like this shit, bro. Like, he like the whole five. Cause you know, I knew that he was going to relate to that because of how he was dressed. That's amazing that even that you, you got to saw him, even though you didn't get to meet him. I heard the story, especially with the management. You tried to get there, but they were just, they weren't letting you pass. They wouldn't let me pass, man. And then and then I almost got into a situation where I, I like, I had to balk on the manager, you know what I'm saying? Because when, when, when after I finished performing, then X was coming after. So I stood on stage. And when I stood on stage, like, the manager, I'm not gonna say his name, he's not even his manager no more, but the manager at the time, he um he was trying to clear me off the stage. So the way he asked me, I didn't appreciate it and I had to bark on him one time. I had to be like, yo, my man, like, the fuck is you doing, bro? I'm not getting off stage and I didn't want to take it there, you know what I'm saying? But it was the way he asked me, and then he was like, yo, all right, my boy, my four band, my four band, you know what I'm saying? So but then I left. I left the stage because he he like literally ruined the moment for me. Like I'm I'm a fan. And I'm standing on stage and I want to see the dog. And just that, just that interaction with the manager, it ruined the moment. But it was a blessing in disguise because when I left the stage, I went to the VIP area and I got to see him firsthand. Like while he's on stage, seeing the crowd, and it was the first time I seen DMX perform live. So. You know what I mean? It was a blessing that I didn't stay on stage because had I would have stood on stage, I was on the side, so I probably would never would have seen him full throttle. You know what I mean? I had to, he had to be in front, you know what I'm saying? So, but yeah, man. And then I tried to see him afterwards and I waited like two hours, bro. And I was drinking, you know what I'm saying? I was, you know, having a good time. And then there was a moment because I kept on telling the manager, I'm like, yo, bro, tell the dog I want to see him. I want to see the dog, man. He's like, all right, Bam, I got you. Give me some time. I got you, Bam. So then after like two hours, bro, I'm like, yo, I'm Bodega Benz. Why am I waiting for two hours? I'm out of here. And I just left. You know, I, I had one of those moments where I was like, yo, 
yo, you know who you are, Ben? Like, we ain't got to do all that. You know what I'm saying? If it ain't meant to be, it ain't meant to be. So I, I left, you know what I'm saying? I didn't get to meet him or whatever, but, you know, I'm glad I got to share the stage with you did get to meet another influence of yours, which is Puff Daddy. He's one of your favorite artists as well. I, I think he helped you set up an interview with Mano when you're doing some interviews for a DVD series. <laughs> nah, he didn't. He didn't. He didn't help me set it up. I had a friend, um, my man C Gutter. He was doing a DVD, a street DVD with rappers and whatnot, and he he needed. So he was. Shoot, he was the one that was holding the camera, my man C. Gutter. He needed somebody to interview the rappers. So um, he was like, yo, we're going to interview Mano. Side fool. So we go to um, in front of the Atlantic building, Atlantic Records building, right by Rockefeller Center in, in Manhattan, New York. And I'm, I'm politicking with Mano. I'm talking to Mano. I'm, 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 I was literally an interviewer, bro. Before I was even a rapper, I'm interviewing these dudes. And Mano, and we won't even remember this. And um, I'm interviewing Mano, and while I'm interviewing Mano, he's about to talk about Puffy, because I guess at this particular time, he probably had like discrepancies with Puff. You know what I mean? He was cool with Little Kim at the time, so I don't know what was going on, but he was about to like talk about Puff. And right when he about to talk about Puff, the, the Phantom pulled up, and Puff come out, and Puff walking in the building, because I guess Bad Boy had an office in that building, and I never forget, I'm seeing a puff come out the phantom, and I'm like, yo, that's puff, B. Like, I had another moment, like, wow, that's puff. And he walked by Mano, and he said, what up, Mano? Mano's like, what up? And he went in the building, and when he went in the building, Mano looked at me and, like, started digging him, like, because he was about to talk about him. And it was, like, some straight, like, by chance that, why are you about to talk about him? He pulls up. And then um, Puffy had sent home. Um, yeah, sent some bodyguards to, to he told he said sent some bodyguards to Mano and said, like, Yo, Mano, can we talk to you on the side? And we had to stop the interview. So I guess Puffy probably felt like he was about to talk about him. So Puff sent his bodyguards to stop the interview and to bring Mano upstairs so they could talk privately. Word. <laughs> you also interviewed Jim time. Jones too. Interviewed Jimmy too. Interviewed Jimmy. That was a good time too, man. That was a good time. It was around the time when he was beefing with true life. Um I'll never forget. Um, we was in Soho and, and, and um, I didn't know how to interview him because Jimmy's, you know, Jimmy has always been known as like a tough guy. So, you know, I'm a young kid, you know what I'm saying? Like I'm already intimidated because he's an older dude. He's known to be a tough guy. So I just want to come at him correct. I didn't want him to, you know, midway kind of like play me or disrespect me if I ask the wrong thing. So I, I try to be real proper. And I never forget, like, Literally in the first few minutes of me just talking to him, he stopped and he was like, yo, bro, yo, talk to me like we see niggas in the street, bro. Because I, I guess he probably seen that I wasn't, I wasn't no, like, you know, I wasn't no interviewer guy. I was probably, probably seen, I was some little street kid that was trying to, you know, a little bit nervous. So he was like, yo, bro, talk to me like we from the street, bro. Like, talk to me however you want to talk to me. And I was like, all right, cool. So then when he said that, I loosened up and then I, I started talking to him like I, he, was, I, he was one of my mans in the hood. And um, yeah, this was time he was beefing with uh, True Life. That was funny. That was funny. High school was an important time for you because at this time that you you actually your first love was acting. You were in the poetry. You read Langston Hughes and Edgar Allan Poe, but you really found your footing in hip hop. 
because it was so popular at the time and you started listening to Eminem and then Big Pun Capital Punishment. We'll get into Capital Punishment in your story of the, the CD Walkman in a few minutes. But when you started battling people in high school, you were using lines off of the Slim Shady LP that people wouldn't even know in your battles and people thought it was whack. Incredible, right? Yeah. <laughs> and, but that, that shows you um, also that Eminem wasn't really popular in the urban communities in New York at that particular time, because I represented them. I was a youth of that community. And I remember 98, 99, it was all about Jay-Z, it was all about DMX. Believe it or not, people loved Memphis Bleak at that time. Um, people was, you know, Fab just came on the scene. So Brooklyn had like a stronghold in New York rap. And here I was listening to something totally different because it was something about Eminem that just drew me to him. It was just magical to me. And I, I you know, I, I feel kind of happy that I was, I didn't like Eminem when the whole world was all over him. Like I liked Eminem very, very early on, bro. Like I like very, and then, you know, I would, I would, he had a record called, um, what was it? It was called Role Model off the first album. And he was talking crazy on that on that record. Like he was saying, he was going ham. So I'm like, yo, you know, when I battle, I'm going to take these rhymes because this is fire and I'm going to make you believe it. I'm going to make believe it's me. And they looked at me like that shit was cold garbage, bro. Like, nah, that's whack. Get out of here. And I'm like, wow. So <laughs> it was crazy. Yeah. Unbelievable. Crazy. That's insane. And then Speaking of big pun, because I wanted to bring that up, you had Capital Punishment in your CD Walkman. Someone walks by you and says, what are you playing? And it's Capital Punishment. And they mm -hmm. said, man, what's with this Spanish shit? Yeah. That's insane. Yeah. He, yeah, and man, you, that's you've even explained it. Pun wasn't getting love. He didn't really get love until after he died. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, again, I'm, I'm from a section. I'm from New York. You know, I'm from Spanish Harlem. So I could speak from my section and I was a youth around this time. And they weren't, niggas wasn't pumping pun, bro, like that. You know, pun was, I'm sure pun was real heavy in the Bronx. I'm sure pun was real heavy out of state, but in Harlem, it wasn't really pumping pun. And I was going pump pun, you know what I mean? Because I was a fan of hip hop and, you know, he was big pun. And I had a homie from the Bronx who he, who loved pun. He's the one who put me on. You know what I'm saying? Have my homies from the Bronx and put me on, I probably never would have been pumping pun either because I'm from Harlem. We, yo, bro, Harlem and the Bronx is so different. Like, the kind of music we like, everything is different, especially around this time. So, I never forget, you know, I bought the city from my man from the Bronx and, you know, I'm walking through the projects and, um, you know, a, 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 a a kid from the hood, you know what I'm saying? He wasn't Latino, he was black. He, he, he was like, you know, being on some funny shit, like, yo, what you listening to? And I opened my, my CD player and he was like, yo, what, get this Spanish shit out of here. And that that moment right then and there, first of all, I felt, I felt so embarrassed when he told me that, right? Um, But that moment kind of cultivated me as I got older and I started to, realized what my purpose was and what my voice was. And I was like, you see, you know, this was every day. We had this kind of like underlying, underlining racism, racism between blacks and Latinos. And we had a lot of Latinos who were so afraid of that racism that they end up trying to be black. And I told myself that I was never going to do that. I told myself that I was going to be straight Latino. Like I'm not going to be another 
nationality, another ethnicity, another that I'm going to be Latino, I'm going to be. A, so, you know, moving forward, when I got into the rap game, you know, that's why I was so proud. And, you know, I, I pumped my heritage so much because of that moment. I remember that. And I ain't never want nobody to ever look at me and say, yo, man, get this Spanish crap out of here. Get this Spanish dude out of here. So that was a, you know, that was a big booster for me when I started becoming a man and I started realizing I want to, you know, make make noise in the rap game. And Punk can out-rap a lot of people. He's in my top five. He's very underrated, Is even though he'll get some praise now. It wasn't like it was during that time in Harlem. He definitely is one of the most impactful artists in this game, especially for the Latino community. And do you feel as though that tensions have decreased and it's easier for Latinos to make it in hip hop? Because I mean, back in the day with Cypress Hill, Kid Frost and Big Pun and Joe, do you think Big Pun really broke that barrier? No, Big Pun did not break that barrier. Absolutely not, no. Um, because from Big Pun went to Joel Ortiz. Mm-hmm. And then from Joel Ortiz went to Bodega Band. So you literally had about two Latinos after Pun's passing who kind of made a name for themselves. Like, you know what I'm saying? But I do think, so Pun didn't break the barrier. You know what I mean? That whole, none of them broke the barrier. But at the same time, maybe it wasn't their job to break the barrier either. Like, that's not what their mission was. Their mission probably was to, you know, get their family out the hood and, you know, speak their truths or whatever. I do think now, though, of course, it's way easier to be a Latino and make a name for yourself because it's just so easy to to facilitate music now. Like everybody's a rapper, so you know the color barriers and 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 all that stuff is just so blurred. There's no more. There's not even no more whack music, bro. Like you can't even call music whack no more. You know what I'm saying? Because there's so much music. So you could be a, a, a Martian now. You know what I'm saying? To be a rapper, it doesn't even matter. You know what I'm saying? So it's much easier nowadays and moving forward to be Latino and be a rapper. But I do not believe that pun broke down the barriers for other other Latinos. I don't think so. I think I think we did me more so. I think I broke down the barriers more for Latinos in the past decade because when I was coming out, there was none, absolutely none. Like you know what I mean? Like there was there wasn't even nobody even relevant on some Latino way, like nobody, you know what I'm saying? So, um, and I came around a time where it was youth driven. You see, like Pun came out, Pun, you know, Big Pun came at a time where it was straight hip hop, technical hip hop, 1998 golden age of hip hop, where it was like, if you nice, you nice. If you wag, get out. I came at a time where now youth run the culture. Now it's about what the youth think and what the youth find hot. And they thought I was hot. They knew I was hot, you know what I'm saying? So. I had a whole bunch of 14, 15 year old kids growing up in high school, coming up in high school, and they looking at both. They got bands. It's like, yo, that's a Latino. He looks just like me. I want to be just like Bam, yo. And you know what I mean? So I, I know I did a lot to open up that bridge for, you know, especially Latinos coming from New York. 100%. In high school, you also met Smoke Dizza. Yes, sir. He's a good friend of yours. And you actually Shout wanted to get brother. close to him the, the first day that you saw him. And one thing that you guys had in common was sneakers. And you told them yeah. that where you could go get the phone posits at. And they were cheap phone posits, but you were you were telling lies just to get cool with them. Yeah, man. You know what I mean? Like, hey, look, have I not done that? I never would have been cool with him. He never would have introduced me to something that would have changed my life, which was music. You feel me? Because through smoke, 
Smoke was the the bridge to get me into the game. He was my he was my first teacher. You know what I'm saying? He was my first person that I looked towards. He was the only nigga I knew that was in rap. You know what I mean? So have I not lied? You know what I'm saying? You know the Bible says um. What the enemy means for evil, God turns the good. So yeah, I started off on some lying shit. Maybe that was bad, but it turned into something good. You know what I mean? <laughs> That's amazing. Do you remember the first time that you and Smoke Dizzer recorded a song in a studio together? Yeah, man. Um, Nipsey Hussle was there. <laughs> wow. Nipsey Hussle, the first time I ever recorded a song with Smoke, uh, it was me, Smoke, another rapper named Numbers, and Nipsey Hussle just came first time to New York from California. This is when he first got his deal. This is about 13, 14 years ago. Um, and we was in a studio in like Midtown somewhere in Manhattan. Um, and i never forget, we was rapping. It was a freestyle beat we were doing. I forgot what the instrumental was. Anyways, there was a line. This was like my first, this was like my first opportunity. I'm like, oh man, I'm rapping with the big dog. Oh, this is fire. Cause up, up until that point, man, I was just like running around doing crazy shit. Like I just wanted to pop niggas heads off. I was off, I was on some goon shit. I didn't really care about rap. I just wanted to be a part of it. But this particular time we in the studio and um, I got the opportunity to rap with these brothers and these brothers were all elite in my, in my eyes. And Nipsey was there and I never forget. I, I said a line, I said, it's not that I'm Hollywood, I'm California dreaming. This is like one of the lines I said in that song that I wrote. And I never forget, I told Nip, I said, yo, Nip, um, the, the line before that was raised in NY, I can't believe I'm breathing. It's not that I'm Hollywood, I'm California dreaming. So what I did was I said, yo, Nip, I'm going to say this part and I want you to come in and say the California dreaming part because you're from Cali. And he was like, got you, Benz. Like, off rip got me, and he and he did that line for me, man. I never forget it. He did that line for me. That song actually exists too. I just don't know where it's at, but it's it's it's, it's in it's in existence. That's tough. Did you ever get to run into Nipsey again? Ah man, ah man. I, I only ran. I never got. I never got to run into him when I made a name for myself, and then I started bubbling. Never, man. Unfortunately, um, but he's another dude who. I never forget, man. He gave me some sound advice, and it, again, it cultivated me into the lane that I end up creating, and the sound of music that I that I end up um, going hard with. You know what I'm saying? Um, you know, anybody who listens to my music, I'm really heavy on like the Latino Spanglish, the um, the Latino samples, um, salsa samples. I've and I've been heavy on that for 15 years, even before I was even known and I never forget I had a song about 15 years ago that had this Latino vibe and it was an old school salsa song that we flipped and nobody was doing that even to this day nobody really does it that's why you know, I'm, that's why I'm Bodega Bands but this song that I did I never forget I was playing at a, at a homie crib and Nipsey was there and um, Nipsey was like yo Benz this shit right here crazy he said, yo, keep on making this kind of sound, bro. He said, yo, keep on making this kind of sound, cuz. Kept on saying, every, every time he spoke, he would say 6 He's like, yo, keep on making this sound, 6 6 Keep on making, keep on flipping that. So fast forward into me now, like, 
all these Latino samples that I do and the flips and the Spanglish that I do in my records, you know, Nipsey was one of the first dudes who realized that and said, yo, that's fire, bro, keep it going. And this was before even he became who he was, you know what I'm saying? We, we was all just young, you know what I mean, just trying to figure it out. But i never forget that advice, man, 15 years ago. That's insane. And rest in peace to Nipsey and DMX, all the, the fallen soldiers of hip-hop that we have lost. Flawless the Demon, you've had many names over the years, Nate Bambino, and all the way to the right. Bodega Bams right now. You, how do you reflect on your years of battle rapping early on in your stages? Uh, I'm, 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 I'm happy for, I'm happy for the, the long journey, man. You know what I'm saying? Like, people don't realize, man. I was, you know, I, 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 I say, I got my start being a, an, a, being a, a, an artist. Like, what I mean by being a real artist, like, started making money you know, calling this my job. I would say like in 2012, but people don't realize like from like, I started like in 2007, bro, 2006, for like six, seven years, excuse me, for like six, five years, I'm going through these different changes, these different names, this, this battling, this, you know, going to any kind of event that had to go, that had to be about music, finding people, paying, paying to perform, uh, begging blogs to, to post me, emailing, influences hey man post my stuff getting denied by them getting denied by all these people it took me like five years before anybody said yo who is this kid you know what i'm saying so you know um it, it, it's been a long journey bro like i like i've been in this bro for like a good part of about 20 years now bro like literally yeah, 20 years I, you know what i'm saying like i know people 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 found out who I was a decade ago, but I was in this a decade before that. You know what I'm saying? Just figuring it out. You know what I mean? Rubbing shoulders with people, running into people, man. Like, it's been a long journey, bro. 100%. You put a lot of work in. All Eyes Off Me was an album that you released, addressing that you feel as though people weren't watching you at that time, especially when you checked some, checked some radio hosts who weren't keeping up to date with the releases that you had out there, rightfully. So, do you feel as though the, that the all eyes are still off you? Has your perspective changed at all? I don't care anymore. Um, that was a amazing album that I put together, but it was coming from an emotional standpoint. Like I was caring about the eyes that I thought were genuine. They weren't on me anymore, and I took that personal, and it made me realize like this business is fake. It's not real. So why get mad at that? These niggas ain't your friends. These people at the radio station, these people over here, they know who you are, yeah. But this business is built on what you doing for me lately. So if I'm not doing nothing for you lately, that's how fast you won't forget about me. And and in 2016, you know, when I made that album, it was just happening. Like I, I was just coming down from a, a high of being on the radio for like six months every single day. And then all of a sudden I started getting on the radio and I started seeing how people changed. And during my time on the radio for that long, I am I thought that I was building relationships, genuine relationships with people. And then I soon realized that it wasn't genuine. You know what I'm saying? And I don't mean I don't mean they bad people like they were trying to snake me, but they wasn't really my friends. You feel me? And I'm a dude that I'm I'm a friendly guy. So if I call you my friends, it's not because I want nothing out of you, it's because I really got love for you. And I had to realize that that's not 90% of the game is not like that. 90% of this game is what you're doing for me. So 
to answer your question, I just don't care no more. You know what I'm saying? I don't care if my perspective is as long as I got one eye on me, I'm I'm happy and I'm blessed. Yeah, I don't think that it's the game has changed you in any way because I feel as though that you've been genuine, especially when getting your role in Smilf. You treated everyone with respect from the top to the bottom on that set. And we'll, and we'll get to that, you getting that role in a minute, but I don't think you, you've changed as a person, even though everyone changes around you. That's how you know you're real in this industry when you notice everyone else around you changing, but you're the same. I would stay the same because, you know, and, and I'm heavy on that. Like, you know, my tone might change, right? Like, my body language might change, the way I greet you might change, but my heart has always remained the same. And again, what I learned in this music game, in this music business is that, you know, people with good hearts, and what I mean by good hearts, people who have good intentions in their hearts, it's very hard to navigate in this game because there's a lot of things that a good hearted person is not going to do, including myself. It's a lot of things he ain't going to do. It's a lot of things he ain't going to stand on. There's a lot of things he ain't going to be about. And this game is not built on it. This game is built on being fake. This game is built on, I'm going to take your neck off. This game is built on, I don't care. I, I would I would leave you blind. I would leave you broke. That's what this game is built on. So when you have a few people who got good hearts, it's very hard to navigate. We can navigate. Clearly, I'm still navigating it. Clearly, I still got a name. But it's not as easy as others who don't have the same heart. You know what I'm saying like, and you know, I don't think that's bad or good. I just think that people are different. You know what I'm saying like, I'm I'm not. I want to get. I want to be successful. I want to achieve my goals in my way, not because I had to snake this person, not because I had to sleep with her, not because I had to be cool with this guy, even though I ain't really like him, not because I had to chase down that DJ a hundred nights. I don't want. I don't want none of that, and I'm not doing it that way. I want to do it the way I want to do it. You feel me? And you're doing that. And just l looking back the, at the deals and the meetings that you've had back in the day, especially with Atlantic, you go into that meeting and then things didn't pan out. And then you hear rumors about Def Jam saying that you were asking for too much, too much and you didn't even pull up to Def Jam. Yeah, yeah it, was a, <laughs> it was a crazy time, man. It was a crazy time. But, you know, um, blessing. Blessing that I, you know, I was even being mentioned and brought up and, you know, Shout out to those, those buildings that was even, you know, taking the time out their day to even show kind of interest in me, you know what I'm saying? And, um, it didn't pan out the way I hoped it did, but that was a blessing as well, you know what I'm saying? I never looked at things as a missed opportunity. I mean, like, you know, I, I, I'm a firm believer that, you know, God takes you from glory to glory. So what I mean by that is if God put me in a position where, there was a million dollar deal on the table and it didn't happen. That's not the end for Bodega Benz. God's going to either give me another million or going to make it two. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, um, there was a point in time where, you know, I was, you know, I was kind of like salty behind stuff that didn't transpire the way I wanted to. But um, I look back at so many things, man. Like, I'm blessed to even, to even be talking to you. You know what I mean? Even for you to have any kind of interest in who I am, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's a blessing, bro. Like, I, I, I never thought that I'd be where I'm at, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, I never thought that I'd make it to the levels that I'm making. I never thought that I'd meet the type of people that I meet at one point. I just thought I was going to be a kid from the ghetto just going to try to make, figure it out. I never thought that it would be like this. No, but, but you've been working hard and 
you know, you made some great relationships over the years, great music over the years, and which I'll never forget, and real hip-hop fans will never forget. And I think that that major deal will come for you eventually, if that's what you want. I think that's what you want, because I think you deserve to go mainstream, because to me, you, you're, you're talented through the roof here. I mean, there's so many talented rappers out here that aren't getting major deals that deserve to be signed to one. It's insane, I think. But I think yours will come because you've been putting on so much work for years now and you're continuing to drop great content and great art. It's yeah, bound to happen. You, I mean, I, w- I would love to, um, you know, I would love to be in an opportunity in a room and, and discuss that kind of business, man. But I'm also operating on God's time, you feel me? So, like, like I don't want nothing that, I don't want nothing that, if, I don't want nothing that don't come from God, bro. I don't want nothing that don't come from my God. Like, if it ain't approved by the big man upstairs, I don't want it because people get it twisted, man. Like, you know, people think blessings always come from God. Nah, you know what I mean? The enemy give you blessings too. You know what I'm saying? Like, you gotta be careful. The enemy, the enemy hides curses and blessings. You feel me? So again, you know, I'm a deep spiritual dude. I'm a Christian, I'm a believer in Christ. So anything that I get moving forward, I want it to be approved by the Lord himself because, you know, I'm limited in what I want and what I like. like. You know, I want $5 million tomorrow, right? Like, that's what I want in my human nature. But what's the point of having $5 million if this happens afterwards and then this happens afterwards and then that happens afterwards? So what? So when I say I want it from God, it's because if it comes from God, it's going to be the best. It won't be half-assed. It won't be, well, there's a catch to it. It's none of that. When it comes from God, bro, when it comes from your Savior, nothing else will top that. So any opportunity any friendship, any person I meet, any, anything, like I, I, I need it to be God. I need it to come from the Lord. With the right intention. And someone that you met throughout your life and had a relationship with was ASAP Yams, rest in peace to him. He was someone that was looking out for you too, when you were going to be signing your record deal through RCA, rest in peace to Yams. My brother, man. <laughs> yeah. The shame we lost him, another fallen soldier of hip hop we will never forget he was going to be walking through that deal with you at ASAP Rocky's house in Soho. <laughs> yeah. Shout out to Rocky. Shout out to my boy Flacco, man. <laughs> That's my guy. That's my guy. Man. I'm happy for Flacco, man. Um, I see my boy out here bagging the hottest girl in, in the history of music. And it's all, it's all I'm doing, bro. That's, that's the homie. I, I feel nice that I know somebody like that. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's cool. Word. Uh, when was the last time you spoke with ASAP Rocky? Uh, at Yams Day. Yams Day. Yeah, it was brief though, cause he was running on stage, and I was running the opposite direction, and we was in the hallway. And he was like, "Oh, Benz, what up, Benz?" And I gave him a hug, and he ran off. So it was, it was, it was but um, every time I I have a moment with him, he's the same dude, and that's what I appreciate. You know what I'm saying like. Every time I have a moment with that man, bro, like it's the same energy that we, it was in 2011, and you know that that speaks a lot about his character because I, I know a lot of people who I met five, seven, nine years ago, and I run into them now, and the energy is different. The energy is different, bro, for whatever reason. You know what I mean? It could be because of whatever. It's not my duty to investigate, but the energy be different. Mm. And um, I'm big on energy because 
I'm the same dude. If, if you meet me tomorrow, I'm going to be the same dude yesterday. I'm going to be the same dude 10 years from now. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to be the same dude. You know what I'm saying? Um, so I appreciate when other people are the same, but I appreciate when it doesn't matter the stature. Like Rocky is the superstar, or they got Bams is nowhere near Rocky's stature, and yet you the same dude. That's respectable. You know what I mean? And and then that's why he's so blessed and he's highly favored and he's in the position he's in because of that. A lot of times when dudes be different and dudes get into a certain level and they they start distancing themselves and you know just being weirdos. That that really doesn't prosper nowhere, bro. You end up, you end up being alienated. You end up being not liked. You know what I'm saying? And people start reading that off of you. You know what I mean? So, you know, um, I pride myself in being the person that I stay the same no matter what. No matter if I got 40 million tomorrow, or I got 40 bucks, I'm, I'm going to be the same dude. I'm, I'm not going to move the same way, right? Like, I ain't going to be doing the same stuff, but my heart, I keep on talking about my heart, is the same. So if you know me before, you'll know me now. Mm. A favorite story of yams that you have was when you pulled up to one of these clubs and he had this Gucci suit on and they weren't letting him in the club. And he said that it, I think it was work was on in the club. Yeah. And yeah. he was like, that's my song playing in there. You're not going to let me in there. And eventually they let him in the club and they say, you got to have a two yeah. bottle minimum to get in here. Yeah. yeah. Um, and the, and the, the bottles came out, the two bottle minimum, it was like 2,400. And um, as soon as we walked in the club, they already handed him the bill. And I appreciate that, that they were doing that because it's like, just because you know we got money, don't try to finesse us. Like, let us want to buy bottles because we want to buy the bottles, not because you're giving us a whole tomato. And I don't respect, you know, I don't respect establishment like that. And that's how it is in New York or whatever. But my man, Yams, you know, he was so... He was so he was so high, he was so drunk, we were all drunk, we were all high, that he would have paid. He he literally was pulling his card out of his pocket. And I remember we stopped him midway, like, man, yo, we out of here, bro. Let's go somewhere else. Like, niggas is bugging. We we not even we didn't even get seated. Y'all handing us the bill already. Like, we, we like, and we them and we we them niggas in the city. Like, how y'all doing that to us in this whack ass establishment? I think it was um spot was called Greenhouse. I don't know if they even got Greenhouse anymore. I stopped. I stopped going to clubs very long time ago, but um, yeah, man. So we we dipped, like you know what I mean. Like y'all 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 gonna finesse us twenty four hundred dollars off of two bottles because you know we got it, nah, bro. So we did. We went to some other spot called um for Westway, which was which was which was a real um, underground kind of hip hop strip club. It was a vibe, bro. It was a vibe. Everybody used to be in there, and we went in there, man. We had the time of our lives for free, bro. And that's how it be. <laughs> or, it was all worth it in the end because at the end of the day you're able to make a great celebration out of it yeah for sure exactly sometimes you know sometimes it ain't about pain sometimes it's about the simple things bro just friends just having fun with free 99 bro like rubbing two pennies together you know what I mean having a pocket full of money but not spending a dollar you know mm -hmm. what I mean sometimes you know there's, there's beauty in that the triangle of New York Tan Boys, Flatbush Zombies, and ASAP Mob. Mm -hmm. Triangle in New York. I like that. That's fine. <laughs> That's <laughs> dope. That was a tough time. Oh, man. That was a, that was a beautiful time, man. That was a beautiful time. And that was orchestrated by Yams. You know, that triangle you just said, that was orchestrated by Yams. It wasn't, he was the one, he was the glue. He was the one who made everybody cool. 
because everybody had a common friend. You know what I mean? Like we, games, we, it's like it's like going to a studio and you got three different rooms. And you have to be in Studio A, Studio B, Studio C. Like not a lot of people could do that. Like and be and be accepted too. You know what I'm saying? Like he wasn't a dude that was just floating around, and he was a dude that he could move in different rooms and still have that same reverence. You know what I'm saying? So he was a special dude. Rest in peace to Yams. You went to his funeral. You remain close with his mother to this day. Yes, sir. Shout out to Tati. Shout out to Tati, man. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful woman. Love of the death. Um, amazing person. Yeah, we speak a lot. You know what I'm saying? Um, I'm always here for her. She always tells me that, too. She was like, Bodega, you always here for me, Bodega. Ever since my son passed, you always, she always, like, gives me props for that. And I told, I, ever since I met her, I told her, like, I'm always going to be here for you, you know what I'm saying? Like, whenever you call me, you know what I mean? Like, I'll pick up, I'll call back. If I'm available, I'm going to your events, you know what I'm saying? Like, because, you it's know, genuine. She, she represented, yeah, for sure. Like, I would want somebody to do the same for my mom's, God forbid, if something like that would happen to me. You know what I'm saying? Like, I, I live life like that, bro. I live life like, I'm going to treat others the way I want to be treated. You feel me? So why wouldn't I show that woman love? He was my friend. You know what I'm saying? Like, he was my real friend. So, you know, shout out to her. God bless her, man. She's been through a lot, bro. Yeah. And speaking of mothers, your mother's been very supportive of your career, even just family-wise back in the day from McDonald's on Wednesdays and you getting the CD and the uh, DVDs. And then you <laughs> watching the Grammy speech of Mark Ronson when he won for Uptown Funk. You were supposed to be on that yeah. record. He was going to play yeah. it on Hot 97, but he only had Action Bronson's verse on there. Then he called you up and said, oh, the mixing and mastering was too long. But you didn't care at the end of the day because you said that guy on that stage that won that Grammy right there, he knows who I am, and he solidified me. Yo, that that was a man. Shout out to Mark Ronson, man, because I could have easily took that situation and became bitter behind it, right? Because it's very easy to do that, and 100%. I literally, I literally turned it around and changed the perspective. Yeah, I really wanted to get on the remix. Yeah, I really wish they kept the verse or whatever happened, but it didn't. But the fact that that same year, they won Song of the Year, him and Bruno Mars, the fact that the man was on stage accepting the award, this man personally, not his assistant, not his whatever, Mark Ronson personally looked for Bodega Bands, then he found Bodega Bands, then he personally was speaking to Bodega Bands, Mark Ronson telling me, I want you on the remix. What you doing for Uptown, nobody else is doing. This is what Mark Ronson is telling me, like the acclaimed producer, respected producer. So um, I kept that perspective that it didn't turn out the way I wanted to, but this man know who I am. And I know that if I run into him again, it's going to be love because you can't fake that. You feel me? He going to remember that. So I might run into him. He might, he might be with Lady Gaga. And he gonna stop and say, oh, Benz, what's up, man? And it's gonna be love. So, you know, I could have spent time and, and, and a lot of rappers fall victim to that, bro, because this game is about high expectations, bro. This game is about, you know, what's old and this game is built on egos too, bro. And, you know, I could have easily became a bitter guy and complained. And I remember when he sent me that, you know what I mean? I looked at it as, you know, 
I'm appreciative that you even explain yourself to me because you want also you ain't gotta tell me nothing. You can just go off. So the fact that you know the fact that you even explain it to me, thank you, Mark. I appreciate you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and um, I know that I'm gonna see him again. I know I know that we're gonna work with you. So you know what I mean? It it, it, it work. It all works out the way it's supposed to. And, and that's why I think there's something greater in store for you, too, is because all these great things have been put there in place, whether it's panned out or hasn't. It's been there. So eventually there's going to be one time that it does pan out. Oh, for sure. Like, I, yeah, man, you know, I think about that a lot. You know, I think about like, you know, you know, my story is still being told. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would have been fun to have all these things happen. Right. But then if all these things would have happened, what's the story? You know what I'm saying? Like, to me, the story is more interesting where it's going, like, damn. To me, the story is because it's still building. It's still writing itself, right? Like, it's not written already. You know what I mean? So, you know, it's a, you know, it's a constant, a constant, um, it's, it's, it's a constant thing of just, you know, keeping your mind in the right perspective, bro. You know what I'm saying? Just, you know, having that mind frame of just, like, everything going to work out the way it's supposed to. You were also cool with Scott Disick back in the day, too. Used to stay out in his right. summer house in the Hamptons. He got right. you into a club. Gave you some that's bottles. That's what I'm saying. You see, like, and I haven't seen Scott in about 17 years. Like, I run into Scott again. I bring that story up. Um, He's going to appreciate that because it's going to put him back in the zone of before you was who you was. Like, we knew each other. You know what I'm saying? Like, and you can't make those things up, bro. Like, this is a real story. Like, I'm 18, 19 years old going to Hamptons. And he was just Scott. Like, he was just a hot shot from out there. I didn't know too much about him. Like, I just knew him as Scott. You know what I mean? I knew his friend. He had a friend named Tom. And um, cool guys, cool white boys, cool dude. And man, mind you, you know, this is my first time being around white people. Like, I, I, I don't grew up in the hood, bro. Like, I grew up around my brothers. Like, I... We were taught that the white people was the enemy. You know what I'm saying? All my life we was taught that. So this is my first time being around rich white people. And it was love, bro. Like, it was love. Like, they treated me great. You know what I'm saying? And, and he was one of those dudes where uh, I was too young to get in the spot. And, and the security guard was, the, the, the bouncer was like, nah, you can't get in, you're 19. And I'll never forget, bro, that man came out that spot like, he... That's Bodega Bams. He is good. Bring him in. No, he. First of all, I wasn't even Bodega Bams yet. I was Nate Bams. Nate Bams. He said. He said. He said Nate Bams. Nate. So yo, he's good. He's with me. The bouncer open. Again, I'm from Spanish Harlem, bro. Like I've never experienced that up until this point. So imagine you getting deaded at the door. Imagine you getting denied. A white dude come from inside. This is, it was like a movie to me. Come from inside, like, no, he's good. He's with me. They opened the, the what's it called? The, the, the rope. I'm the velvet rope. There. The velvet rope. I'm walking in there. Small spot, too. It was in, it was in the Hamptons, like, a 200-cap room. Small. And I'm walking, and every table got on. Bottoms, and all the tables got champagne. And he tell me, he like, yo, bands, take whatever you want. That's what Scott told me. Your bands take whatever you want. I looked at him like, "Word, <laughs> I'm going to pee. I'm going to different tables. I'm grabbing the champagne out of the bucket, grabbing it, 
it was a time, man. It was a time. I love, I love that. You know what I mean? Because you know, I'm blessed, bro, that I got to experience these things. Man. You know what I mean? I got to experience these things. Hundred percent, and all the way to your acting career. Your mother was bringing you to early recitals when you were younger, when you were trying out for some things. Yeah, she was. Yeah, she was. Um, there was a show. Uh, I've always been um intrigued by movies and film, and just something about it, bro. It just it just does something to me. Like when I watch a good movie, um, there's nothing like it. You know, there's no comparison to like music to me like some people you know their thing is music they can sit down and listen to an album and just feel some way and i get those feelings too don't get me wrong but there's something about what a movie does to me like what it does to my, my inside bro like my spirit like it just moves me you know what i'm saying like just and i've always had that since a young kid so i've always wanted to be in movies you know what i mean i just you know where I come from. We don't know. We don't know casting directors. We don't know acting school. Like we don't got that. Is either you a drug dealer or you a rapper, or you play basketball. That's what it was. You know what I'm saying? Or you just a nine to five. But I always felt like I had a bigger purpose than just being a nine to five guy. Not that I there's nothing wrong with that, but I just felt like that wasn't for me. And movies was something I was always tapped into me, loving, you know what I mean, appreciating movies, watching them, not just to watch them for the sake of watching them, but watching how they act, you know, watching how it's shot. Like, like I have a deep reverence for movies. And my mom, I guess she saw that early on, you know what I'm saying? And there was a show called Reading Rainbow. Rainbow. Um, and she found out where the casting was. And she took me to the offices. It was like on downtown somewhere. And I remember going into a room, I remember, in the room, there was a whole bunch of other kids there. And I remember going to the room, meeting with a guy. He asked me to read. And um, I read, and that was that, and never called me back. So, But again, you know, I remember those things, man, because it, it all adds up to where I'm going now. You feel me? Like, it just all adds up to where I'm going now, man. Like, being eight years old, you know what I'm saying, going through that. And then where I'm at, moving forward, like, it was all lining up, you know what I'm saying? Like, it was all lining up. And again, you know, my mom didn't have, like, the knowledge or know-how to continue that, right? Like, she didn't, I'm sure she probably, when she heard a no, that was that. She's like, all right, well, let's go back to regular life. You know, a lot of other parents and a lot of other kids, will, they'll keep on pursuing it. But where we from... Again, it's a one, it's a one shot deal where we from, bro. It's not, we don't get those opportunities. You feel me? Like our parents ain't taught that either. Like to persevere and keep on pushing your kids. We're not really taught that, bro. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, I had to get it on my own. But I use that as an example. Acting was installed in you, instilled in you all along because it's something that you always have an interest in, and you implemented acting into your videos. Do you remember what you were going through at that time when you were forwarded that email to audition for Smelf? Do you remember what was going through your, your life or your mind at that time? Yeah, it was a beautiful time. Like, it, it happened. I was in the best state mentally that I've been in a long time. And I'm a firm believer that I think, like, the fact that I was in a positive mind state when it happened is, is the reason why it happened. Because if I was in a different stage in my life, if I was 
in a darker stage, which I was throughout my life a lot of times, I probably would have, that probably would have passed me off an opportunity like that. You know what I mean? But I, I literally, I was looking the best I looked. You know what I mean? I, I shed a lot of weight, so I was back in the gym. Um, I was just feeling vibrant. I was feeling great. I was feeling, like, excited. So when that came in, man, that was just a extra insurance to tell me that, yo, I'm on the right path. Because it's, even the way it came in, like, I didn't have to go see nobody. I didn't have to meet nobody. It came in through an email, bro. An email that I've never even seen before. You feel me? Like, so... Um, I'm not surprised it happened that way because at that particular moment is when I started to change who I was. Like I started to, you know, eat better, live better, and talk better, and um, treat myself better. So when I'm I'm changing my mentality, then this big blessing from God that changed my life. It did. And you got that email. You thought it was late because it was three days. It had passed when you got sent forwarded that email and you, you, you get in contact with the people that reached out, you go and do your audition in New York. And then they liked your audition. You get flown out to LA for the main role. And you didn't get, you eventually didn't get that main role. It went to Aztec. So the casting directors liked what you did in your audition. Like you so much, they wrote you your parts, Carlos on the show Smilf. And that was a hit show right after shameless. Hey man, that show got nominated for a Golden Globe. It did. You know what I mean? The first year. Shout out to Frankie Shaw. Uh, man, yeah. To this day, you know, I'm still tight with Frankie. You know what I mean? So um, it opened my eyes to a whole new world, bro. Literally, it opened my eyes to a whole new world, bro. Like, and it was all I ever wanted. I wanted to get in that building acting. You know what I'm saying? I, even going to the Paramount lot, like I was in awe, bro. Like when I went on the Paramount lot and we were we're shooting in the same building, in the same lot, in the same studio where they shot Full House, where they shot Saved by the Bell. I'm in there like, yo, this is crazy. I'm looking around at people. It's like it's like regular to them. I'm like, y'all don't know who I am, where I come from. This ain't this nothing regular. Like this is supernatural. Like I'm in there like so appreciative bro like i treated everybody and i made a conscious effort that i was going to be that dude that was the super friendly guy shaking everybody's hand treating everybody the same way smiling you know what i'm saying I, I, again i i i felt like this was my dream job come true bro You're unbelievable you know what i'm saying to the point where i just can't wait to go back i can't wait to you know get back in in, in it and, and and do it again Funny story about Aztec. He was signed by Jay Z. He was like, "Nah, you're you're the shit," and you're you're telling yeah, him that nah, you're the shit. So you going, you guys were going back and forth, and he respect respects you what you do out here for hip hop. Yeah, good guy, man. My man Miguel, man, good brother, good good brother, man. Um, we we clicked right away. Um, he was familiar with who I was, which was surprising to me. Um, but it shows you how tight being a Latino in this game, how because there's not too many, and when you make a mark, um, it's remembered, you know what I'm saying? Because I didn't know Aztec knew who I was, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, that's the first thing he told me when he met me, because I knew who he was because I used to watch him on Smack DVD, and I knew he was signed to Jay-Z at one point. But um, when he reversed it back on me, and he was like, nah, bro, you the shit, you the dude. 
You know what I mean? I was humble. But shout to Miguel, man. That's a good brother. Santiago Gomez on FBI. You got that role, too? Oh, that was my name? Yeah. <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't even remember what my name was. Yeah, Sean. That was a good opportunity, too, man. That was a good opportunity, man. Um, These opportunities are coming for you. Yeah, and, and what's crazy is that the same jail that I was... The same... When I did that role for FBI at Santiago, the same jail that I was working in was the same jail that I got arrested in 10 years ago. Was that the one that you were rapping for everybody in and someone in the jail said to you nah, like, that was, you were nah, nice? Nah, that was, that was a different jail. That was a jail in, in, in Manhattan. This particular jail, I had got arrested one time in, in Queens, New York. And um, this is like 2010. And um, I had an outstanding warrant um, from Virginia, from West Virginia. Crazy enough, I was driving to Ohio to meet up with high tech the producer. I was with Smoke and I was with another dude and we drive into um, Ohio, Cincinnati to meet Columbus to, to meet up with high tech. And on the drive back to New York, I'm speeding the whole way and I get pulled over in West Virginia, get a speeding ticket, didn't care about it, went on with my life. One day I'm in front of a strip club in Queens called Starlets, making a whole bunch of noise, cops pull up, let me get your ID, give him my ID. You have an outstanding warrant. You're going to jail. I'm dumb type. Um, it was raining. I was, I was, I was beside myself. That same jail that I had such a hard time. Cause around that time I was going through a lot personally. So if that was like, this is the last thing I want to do, get arrested too. And it's crazy how God works. Like, um, he literally gets me a role that brings me back into the same place that should have damaged me, but shows me how he can turn that into a blessing as well, bro. So when I'm there, and for the FBI show, and I'm shooting this scene, it's surreal to me. Like, I'm, I, I even told the director, I said, you know, I was arrested one time and I was in the same jail. Like, I just want, I want her to have that perspective of like, you know, everybody here, um, y'all just acting and y'all just, you know, working. Like, this is a little bit different from me. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's a story behind this. Like, the fact that I'm even here is divine. You know what I mean? She appreciated it. But yeah, that was a, that was a, that was a good time too. <laughs> Another amazing story is that you had to audition for a show that Queen Latifah was in. I think it was called The Equalizer, if I'm pretty sure. I think that's what yeah. was it. You had, you had that audition, you getting shot, and that was the only thing that you had to do for that. Yeah, I, I, yo, you know what's crazy? I've auditioned for the Equalizer like six different times, bro, and they don't call me back. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> oh, come on. They got to call you they back one time here. Nah, you know what? It just ain't meant to be, bro. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, yeah, shout out to that. I've auditioned like six different times, bro. Six different times. Man, I've auditioned, bro. I've, I've, I've done a... I've auditioned a lot, bro. I've been on about good over 100 auditions, bro, maybe, in total since I signed with... Um, some agents and I've only booked one show, bro. And that was the FBI show. And this is after Smith. So, you know, it's been, it's been a journey, bro. You know what I'm saying? And I remember in the beginning, I used to get, you know, frustrated because I wasn't getting callbacks and I felt like I was doing good. But again, now my perspective is different, bro. Like this is all leading into something. You know what I mean? I'm, hopefully I can inspire somebody out there that, you know, is doing 200, 300 auditions and is not getting no callback. I can inspire somebody out there to keep going because eventually 
you're going to get a call back. Eventually, you're going to get that audition that's going to change your life. You know what I'm saying? So um, um, I'm happy, you know, in the state of mind that I'm in, man. I'm happy that, you know, uh, I'm happy I'm on this journey, man, because there's so much more in store. How were your experiences in acting classes? Because I know that you've heard you say that you want to get an acting coach because you don't want to learn just how what Bodega Bams is in the role. You want to learn how to act as somebody. Put yourself in somebody else's shoes as an actor, which is a character actor. Yeah, I want to, um, I definitely want to, um, I definitely want to, you know, learn the the techniques of acting, right? And, And just being a, you know, I want to. I want to one day get into you know role with it, be a stage actor. You know what I'm saying? And, and, um, just not act like myself. I know acting like myself, you know, is is pretty cool, and I can, you know, book something, and you know, I could do things just being myself because I'm a cool guy. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. I do. I do want to act like somebody else. You know what I mean? I do want to go into those and be, re- you know, and be respected as as a, as a, as an actor, as a good actor, as a great actor. Like I. That's one of my goals. You know, I'm not in this just, I'm not in this for the check. I'm not in this to be famous. Like I want to be, you know, inspiring, bro. I want to be influential in art. You know what I mean? I want somebody to look at my my acting. I want somebody to look at a film that I do and say, wow, man, that that changed my life, man. Like I'm, I'm a, that has inspired me. You know what I mean? Like, so it's bigger than just money. It's bigger than just fame, man. It's, it's I really want to do this. I want to do this for real, you know what I'm saying? Like to act and be respected, you know what I'm saying? So um, I'm definitely going to get into uh, the right acting school. I- I've been in some, I've been in a few acting classes. It was super fun. It's a lot of um, exercises, which is cool. Um, um, and I'm definitely going to, you know, tap back in, you know what I'm saying? Definitely tap back in. I've read a few books too um, on acting, you know what I'm saying? Um, I, I do want to always keep my natural ability though, and I never want to make it robotic because that was one of the things that um, a homegirl of mine on, on the set of Snuff told me because um, I was asking, I was like, hey, you know about any, you know, you know about any acting classes? When we was in LA, I'm like, you know about any acting classes? I want to look into it. And she was like, yo, babes, it's cool to know that, like the acting classes, but this natural ability that you got, this confidence, this, this, this charisma you got, you want to keep this as fresh. You want to keep this as, you want to keep this as is. The, the more you go into acting classes, the, the, the little it starts to take away, take away and take away and you become a robot. And I, and I appreciate that, you know, because I never would have known that. I'm thinking, you know what I'm saying? I'm thinking like, I'm thinking just like, let me go to acting classes or whatever, but she's giving me a different perspective. Like, yo, you got some, you got a natural ability to yourself. You know what I'm saying? So, that's right. And, and there are times that I, I've thought about that because I'm someone that wants to pursue acting in the future as well. And I and I, I look at it as, isn't it more natural as if you got it or you don't have it? So it seems as though that you have it. And there's other people out there that have it. I've read a, a lot online about actors who never took acting classes in their lives. Johnny Depp is one of them. He never took acting classes. He's one of the biggest actors of all time. <laughs> one of the biggest actors of all time. Yeah, man. It's, it's you, know, you know, I was watching a, um, a documentary the other day about Val Kilmer and um he doesn't he can't you know his voice is messed up so he can't even speak anymore. Um yeah like a surgery of cancer or whatever. Anyways he he was he was the youngest person to get accepted to Juilliard. 
Juilliard is a acclaimed acting school. He was the youngest person ever, right? Mm-hmm. And here's a guy who he is the he is he is the he's all about technical technician acting. He's all about that. He's all about learning to act, right? And that's cool, but then what happens is, again, if you don't have that natural charisma, that natural ability, I feel like eventually, to me, you're just gonna die out. To me, you're not really gonna be, you know what I'm saying, a person who's gonna be around forever, you know what I'm saying? Because it's like some things you just can't learn, bro. Some things is just in you, some things you're born with, you know what I'm saying? And there's a lot of people who, you know, they want to be active, they want to be active, they want to be active, so they're going to go to the schools, they're going to pay as much money for the acting classes, and all that is good because it's all the grind, but um, keep some of yourself too, right, like that natural ability, whatever you have, man, that natural charisma, whatever you have, try to guard that as, as much as possible because, you know, once that leaves, once you become a different person, you'll never get that back. You become a robot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you become a robot. And then, you know, you become like, you know, when, when I was watching the documentary about Val Kilmer, they were, they were saying things, they were saying things like he became a difficult actor to work with. Like he was a difficult guy. And it makes sense because this is a guy who's the youngest guy ever accepted in Juilliard. I mean, his head, his ego was probably through the roof. He probably looked at other people and was like, I'm a way better actor than you. Like you guys don't know nothing about acting, right? Like, I don't know. Like, I don't know, like, I don't know acting the way he does, right? Or anybody in that kind of field do. They, 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 they look at acting like it's a math problem, right? Like, I look at acting as just natural who you are. Like, what can you do to light up a stage or light up a, a, a scene? Like, dudes like Denzel, like, they, this natural ability, you know what I'm saying? It's just, he's just a natural dude. So, um, a lot of these dudes who go to school for acting, you know, they become like wizards of acting, but then it, it feeds the ego, bro. And they like, they, they think they're the ones and they think they're the best. And then, you know, you end up being the guy who's too hard to work with and too hard to deal with. And, you know, there's a lot of those. And same thing with rap, bro. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, you can really um, be one of those guys who just has this natural ability of just knowing how to put music together and knowing how to rap. Or you could be one of those guys who teaches himself, teaches himself, teaches himself, teaches himself, and then end up building this ego of just like, I'm the best or whatever. When doing your shots, I'm curious, did it go through your mind with, with the audition for you getting shot when you eventually get a movie role and or even a TV show role and you have to play a character that gets shot? Does it ever go through your mind that maybe Hollywood may be taking a different procedure out because of what's happened to Brandon Lee on The Crow and even the Alec Baldwin situation in film? I'm, I ain't gonna lie, I'm kind of scared of that, bro. Because I'm just a very superstitious guy, too. And I think about that a lot. Because I want to be a, I want to be in, like, action movies, and I want to do the action, and I want to do scenes where, you know, it could involve some fighting or some violence. And if I ever get that opportunity, I'm, I have to see the gun, bro, each and every time. Like, I, I got to see it before you're doing anything. Like, I need to see that. You know what I'm saying? Because I don't know how people just could act and there'd be a gun and just act like it's, it's, everything's going to go good. 
nah, bro. Like, not me. I'm sorry. Maybe because I'm from, I'm a street kid too, right? Like, we just don't play with guns. Like, these people out here be, you know what I mean? Like, Brandon Lee, you know what I'm saying? God bless. But, you know, he was a, I don't know how that happened. You know, there's a whole, his father being cursed and then. Conspiracy. I've looked in that his family curse. I believe the male that. side. I believe, I, I definitely believe it that there was probably a plot to take him out. For sure. Because that type of stuff, bro, like, even the Alec Baldwin thing, bro, that's ridiculous, bro. Like, it's ridiculous, man. Like, I, how, I don't play with that, man. I'm a, if, I, if I'm doing the scene where there's a gun, I need to see the gun each and every time. I don't care if we do 100 takes every time. I need to see that gun, bro. I agree with you. And all actors should be that way. Is screenwriting still in the cards for you, writing your own screenplays and movies as well? Is that in the cards? Because yes. you've mentioned that before. Yes, sir. I just I just finished writing my um my first film. Literally, I just finished co-writing it um with a friend of mine's. Um and I'm I'm poised to to start working on that. Like I I, I co-wrote it. I'm acting in it and I'm producing it. It's tough. Yeah, so definitely, definitely writing too. Um, this this particular one that I just finished now, I've been conceptualizing it for two years. And when I met the homie, shot to my man Ethan, um, he was already a, a more seasoned in this Hollywood business or whatever. So he helped me tremendously in in trying to put trying to put my story on paper. I didn't know how to do it. Like I just knew the kind of story I wanted to say. I knew the lines. I just didn't know how to write it in writing format. You know what I'm saying? And he helped me tremendously. And we end up writing together this amazing film um, that we're going to start working on very, very soon. Um, we're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, making sure everything is good and everything and all our ducks are in a row. Um, but um, this is going to be the first of many um, films that I'm going to write, that I'm going to produce, and I'm going to act in. That's tough. And it's going to pan out for you. I think your career, it's meant for film. You're seeing the golden opportunities open up here for you. You have a passion for it. So it's going to pan out. I think you had a paranormal activity reference on the Lost Pack, too. Yeah. I, I, um, like paranormal activity when I ghost right. Yeah, man. Yeah. Hey, listen. You know, Hollywood needs somebody like me, man. They need someone of my knowledge of my know-how of my just where I come from my culture they need someone like me in the game um I do believe with the right opportunity with the right timing that I can shake everything up I do think that I'm I can do things in this game that hasn't been done before maybe ever or in a long time I can do a lot of revolutionary things um that's the kind of mind frame I'm I got, bro, like, I'm here to make history. Like, I'm not, you know, I'm not here to, to play around with it. Like, I'm really here to do some real, real historic things in film. So, you know, I, 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 I can't wait till, you know, those doors open when, when God says it's time. It's going to happen, even if there's a future Scarface opportunity, because you wore the same outfit, the, the same shirt that Al Pacino wore in Scarface. You had the opportunity there. That's tough. Yeah, <laughs> that was fun. That was shout out to um, shout out to Universal. We was on the Universal lot, and um, 
we were using their clothes, you know, Universal has their own clothes or whatever that they keep on recycling for new movies. And one of the shirts I had on was the same shirt Tony Montana, Al Pacino had on in Scarface, man. That was, again, man, like, I'm, I'm big on manifesting too, but, you know, manifesting through God. I mean, not, not self-manifesting. I don't believe in that, but mm -hmm. I'm big on that. You know, little things like that. They all mean something, bro. Like, you know what I mean? Who knows? I might, you said, who knows? What if, I get the opportunity to, to be a part of the new Scarface or I meet the director of Scarface or, you know what I'm saying? Or I do a movie with Oliver Stone or I get to meet Al Pacino before, you know, he, he passes on. You know what I'm saying? Like all this stuff line up. You got to line up, bro. You know what I'm saying? And um, um, I noticed that. And, I, and I, when those type of things happen, I don't take them for granted. You know what I'm saying? Like I try to, I try to appreciate and to look at every moment as just a stepping stone to the next. Al Pacino, one of the all-time great actors, can do The Godfather. Then he has to step into his role as Carlitos Way, and then he, he can play a Cuban role of Scarface in Tony Montana. Carlitos Way is... Puerto Rican. Very, very, very under, underrated movie. In my, it's, in my opinion, it's one of my top 10 favorite movies of all time. I think it's an incredible... Um, movie i think uh, to me it's better than scarface that's just my opinion i think the acting is better um sean penn is in there i think the writing was incredible i think the way they shot it i think the the look of it everything that movie called it this way is incredible and i think it's not even think it's very very under underrated you know i mean compared to like scarface and compared to like um the godfather these other movies that you know um al pacino made his bones in you know what i mean called way gotta be up there man Mm -hmm. Would Bodega Bams do a horror movie? <laughs> Hell yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. I love horror, bro. You know, me and my brother, I just finished watching the new um Michael Myers um for the first time. It was incredible. I, I like I, I love what they did. I love how they switched the story up. Um big horror fans. You know what I'm saying? Me and my brother Ola, um, again, I'm a movie guy, so you know, being a young kid, that was that was the rebel thing to watch horror movies. You know what I'm saying? Like that was what I thought a rebel was. We used to watch the horror movies, the the, the worst of the worst, bro. I remember being 11 years old, wanting to watch um, The Exorcist. And I remember um, just being into all the Friday the 13th and Halloween's and, and, um, and um, the child's play and the Freddy's and yeah. So I'm from that culture, bro, horror. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, bro. And, um, the list goes on, bro. Like, you know what I'm saying? So I would love to do a, I would love to write a horror movie too, man. Just in the perspective of just a hood dude. Like, like we, 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 um, we, we see a lot of the same horror movies. You know what I'm saying? Like, it would be interesting to see a horror movie. Again, that's why I say Hollywood need a person of my capabilities, bro. They need somebody like me. They need my mom because I bring a whole different spectrum of people i bring a whole different culture of people who are into great movies but they're not being spoken for i think you can do that for sure especially a great horror movie we definitely need one of those nowadays and you know horror's been lost for a long time because when you look back at the golden age of horror that 70s and 80s that was it yeah it's, it's, it's you know it's, it's but listen man like i, I think um well, not even think, you know, there's nothing original under the sun. Um, 
you know, cinema and film is a business that's been around for over a hundred years. I mean, everything is being remade. Like, so, you know, the original things of anything is always going to be better. And um, it's kind of hard to, you know, make a great horror movie, like you said, nowadays, because everything has been done. But I do think that it's it's, it's super possible to, to continue to make great horror movies. You just got to get different minds and, and, and different perspectives. Like Jordan Peele was incredible. Like Jordan Peele, like, he, he is literally revolutionizing horror, how he's doing it. Just by the stories, you know what I'm saying? Like his stories are incredible. Like what he's writing down, you know what I'm saying? So you know, you got it. You got it. You got the exceptions, bro. Of, of some some horror directors who who are definitely making different kind of films and and, and um are definitely revolutionizing it. I bet you a lot of people wouldn't know that the director of Scarface, Brian De Palma, made Carrie, directed Carrie back in the day. That was that was one of his first movies. Yeah, yeah. Made Carrie with John Travolta in it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, Sissy Spacek. Movie, yeah, Sissy Spacek. That movie's that movie's incredible. That movie's a bug out, bug out. Um, yeah, yes, a lot of people, man. You know, um, even I was watching the um the new Spider Man. I thought the new Spider Man was dope too, but I, I'm still a fan of the first Spider Man with Sam Raimi, and um. You know, Sam Raimi came from the horror game too. The Evil Dead. Sam yeah, the Evil Dead. You got people like Peter Jackson, um, before he did King Kong. He did. Yeah, the but even before that, yeah, he he was into the horror game too. I mean, like in New Zealand, he that's how he started his game. So, um, yeah, man, you know what I mean? Like, I definitely would love to tap into horror, but I want to tap into all genres. Everything. You know what I'm saying of of everything, or even comedy. You know what I'm saying? Like, I think I think having a fresh of fresh, um, fresh ideas in comedy too. I think comedy's been kind of like regurgitated as well, but I think you know, a fresh looking comedy would be is needed too, and I could bring that too. One hundred percent. Bodega Bams, is there anything else you would love to let the audience know that we haven't covered today? You got the upcoming album, Vivir, dropping this Friday. I'm looking Friday. forward to it. Uh, no, nah, I think we covered. It was a great conversation with you, man. I, I appreciate um. I appreciate your your your, your knowledge, bro, and your, you know you know studying and doing your homework, man, and um, knowing who I am, man. That's, that's I respect that highly, man. And, uh, I would just say, you know, for the people who who have been in tune with me, who've been supporting me through this journey, I appreciate y'all. Thank y'all. I love y'all to the bottom the bottom of my heart. And anybody new who's coming in, you know, welcome. You know, there's a lot of dope stuff going to happen. A lot of revolutionary things is going to happen. Uh, a lot of big things is going to happen, man. And, you know, uh, I look forward to the future, brother. 100%. You listen to Handball, you got some big things on the way, too. It sounds as though your agent calls you with some more acting opportunities. So we're, we're tuned into that skit at the end of Handball. And we're going yeah. in right away here. Bodega's got the flavors. That's why his name is Bodega. He's got everything for you. He's got the song cries. He's got the handball songs. And he, and he also can act. So he's got it all for you. I got it all, man. I got to wear, I got to wear more than one hat. And I'm like a paper boy with this hat on. You feel me? I feel you. <laughs> I can even get on the bike and deliver papers if you want, man. We can do everything, man. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and you can't forget he's a huge Knicks fan, which I respect because I'm a huge Knicks fan. You can't go wrong with yeah, that. Man. Come on, man. Come on, man. We... We haven't had a chip since 71 and 72. We need, we need it. You know what I'm saying? Like, 
Yeah, huge Knicks fan. Huge Knicks yeah. forever. Die hard. Same. That that's that's how it is, especially from your when you're from New York, you gotta be a Knicks fan. I don't I don't know what Big L was talking about there, and you got put on the Big L right around the big picture and when he died, but never understood that line. But I, that was a whack ass line. Yeah, well, <laughs> no, rest, 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 rest in peace to L, but you was out of pocket, L. Come on, man. I used to New York and you're not a Knicks fan, bro. Come on, man. I, I, I can't really you know, I know people from New York who they Laker fans. Like, how are you a Laker fan? You from New York. I think it's because people have such low patience when it comes to the Knicks because they lose all the time. So they find something that may, may be the bandwagon and thing, which be the Lakers. And then because they have been on the downside for years, a little bit after Kobe and when Kobe was going through his downside, they, people from New York jumped onto the Lakers because the Knicks were so bad. Yeah, but I, I, yeah, for sure. I, I stuck it. with I the Knicks. So I stuck with the Knicks. They're horrible. I'll admit it every day. We're horrible. We need to get better, but I'm never going to leave them. I, I, but you know why? I think because you're a New York fan, right? So because you're a fan of New York, like Knicks, whether they're good or bad, the fact that you're a fan of New York, you have to be a fan of Knicks. You know what I mean? Like, so even when the Knicks are doing terrible, because I'm such a fan of New York, to me is, the, is a disservice. If I'd rather be a fan of nobody. Like, I'm not going to be from New York. If I don't like the Knicks, why would I be a fan of the Mavericks, like what does sense does that make? It doesn't make no sense. You know what I'm saying? No, like, no. I, I, and I'm just a, you know, I guess I'm just a New York to the core kind of guy, man. I'm a hardcore New York. You know what I'm saying? So it's a little bit different for me, I guess. Bodega Bands, I appreciate you coming on the show here today. I had a great conversation. Appreciate everything that you brought to the table in the interview and all the insight that you gave to upcoming artists that are maybe listening, especially actors. People want to look into getting into acting business. I think you're a true inspiration out here. That's what you're doing it for. You want the young kids to look at you as an OG in the game and say, be like me. And you can follow me and, and get somewhere in this industry, no matter how old you are or what path you want to take. Facts, facts. You know what I'm saying? That's exactly, that's one of the purposes I have, man, just to be an influence, to motivate, to inspire. That's right. Bodega Bams, thanks again for coming on the show. You're always welcome. Looking forward to the new music. The new album is, it's a treat for real hip-hop heads and look forward to having you on again. Thank you, man. Thank you for your support, my brother Max, man. Thank you, bro, for the opportunity, man. God bless you always, bro. God bless you too, man. Anytime, man. Looking forward to everything you got coming in the near future. Peace out, man. Enjoy the rest of your night. You too, bro. Yeah.